folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A quick shout-out to some of our local business partners. Thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store. And still a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper because you can order takeout from Gateway. It's fantastic, folks. Check them out. Let's continue to support the local businesses that make this alternative radio program possible. Thanks also to Noche. Noche Jazz and Cabaret is Des Moines' premier location for jazz and cabaret, and they continue to broadcast their concerts live stream every Wednesday and Saturday at 7 p.m. That's Noche. Later in the program, Kathy Burns is going to join us to talk about Birds and Bees Urban Farm and what's happening in terms of uh, the gardening and farming season, especially for those of us uh, growing food for direct consumption. We'll also talk with Dr. Charles Goldman about the uh, some of the some of the problems that we're seeing with uh, with uh, regulations about environmental protection being weakened, and we'll also talk about how some businesses are insisting on staying open despite their despite it being very questionable as to whether, for example, a porn shop is an essential service. But I'm not making this up. There are porn shops in Des Moines that remain open during COVID-19. But first, we're gonna to go to our phone and welcome Dr. Maureen McHugh to the program. She's uh, with the University of Iowa College of Public Health and uh, also with the Global Health Studies Program at the University of Iowa. She's also a longtime uh, active leader with Iowa Chapter of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Uh, Maureen, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks, thanks so much for having me. Yes, yeah, so, uh, and you, you are sheltering at home as well, I imagine? Oh, yes, and we live out here in the middle of absolutely nowhere, so at <laughs> least we can walk along our road and work in our yard and garden, just like you guys are doing, as well as doing what we can uh, with our computers. And you have an interesting perspective on the COVID-19 uh, problem, the crisis, and, I, and I've heard about this from some other people as well, but... The um, we, we, we've noticed the incredible decline in air pollution, in greenhouse gas emissions, in, in vehicular traffic, in air travel. Uh, there's been a huge drop in all those things. And some who, some who track this stuff, and you, I include you among them, are saying that, uh, well, you know, there's a, there are a few net positives to the coronavirus crisis. And one is that with all this decline in pollution, uh, we may see a uh, significant uh, you know, drop also in the loss of life that comes with, uh, you know, deadly forms of air pollution. Do I have that right? Am I, am I following that train of thought correctly? Well, I think the word net is, is the problem because, yes, it, currently we are seeing these positives. Before corona quarantined the globe, it was estimated that the death toll from uh, air pollution just here in the United States was over 100,000 per year. We've not come anywhere near that yet with corona. And uh, WHO estimates the global toll at about 7 million per year. Depending on your sources, uh, those numbers obviously vary. But as a society, we never discuss these preventable deaths, unlike the way we're getting the daily corona Counts. So 100,000 deaths per year in the U.S. due to lethal air pollution. Can, can you uh, help our li listeners understand a little bit more about what, what, what the, what's the detail? What are those, what are those ailments? Uh, what are they? What, what, what uh, you know, are, 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 are these? Primar uh, go ahead. Primarily, air pollution affects um, the respiratory system and cardiovascular system. So um, a chunk of the deaths that we see every year due to a respiratory disease or due to heart disease are directly uh, attributable to air pollution, which is why, you know, for, for several decades now, we've been trying to tighten up uh, our air pollution standards, the regulations of how much um, particulate matter industry um, and cars, tailpipes, can put into the air because... Uh, we've tried to balance the human health impacts with uh, economic impacts. And these are the kinds of conversations we're having all day long, every day now under um, corona. 
Um, but in fact, um, there was very little public attention to these kinds of deaths. I, I think of them as kind of invisible deaths. Right, and, right. Um, and so we've been in crisis mode for we've been in crisis mode for about a month now in the U.S. And do we have any 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 substantial data indicating to what extent uh, air pollution and other other uh, airborne contaminants have dropped? Um, I, I tried to find uh, a reckoning um, of, of that kind of number, but uh, that always takes a little bit of time to figure out. And unfortunately, what's been happening is, A, all of the attention is on the corona death count and, you know, statistics, um, while at the same time, we have reduced, and I heard you were going to talk about that later, our support for the EPA. We have reduced the numbers of people involved in um, global health. Um, and because of those sorts of things, uh, at, at the federal level, it's going to be harder to track any of, of these kinds of occurrences come uh, the time we're not completely focused on corona and I think that's the untold tale, um, that under the um, issue of corona, they're able to cut back and go backwards. And so instead of heeding um, the kinds of warnings that we're getting out of the environment, the Trump administration is looking to cut $693 million at the Centers for Disease Control, $742 million to programs at Health Resources and Services Administration. Now, were, the, were those proposed cuts... It, it, uh, it goes in, on and on. Were those proposed cuts in the works prior to this crisis, or is that part of the Trump yeah, administration? Those were, that's part of the Trump administration effort uh, to... Uh, Shrink government, but is it? But is that? But is that? Is that in response to the crisis? No, no. It was that was already in effect before. It was. It, and, was, it was going into effect. Right, and it, and it continues. So, because there's continues. been no, there's been no understanding that well, hey, maybe we need to be looking at uh, whether those cuts are advisable given given the fact that we've seen these uh, we're we're seeing a hundred thousand deaths a year related to pollution. That's that's not part of the right. That's not part of the analysis in the White House. No, not not at all, yeah. not at all at this point. And I think, uh, obviously, when you look at where does air pollution come from, you begin to understand what's happening. Air pollution doesn't happen because you and I are breathing or coughing on one another like right now under corona. It comes from industry and it comes from tailpipes. Yeah. And so we don't pay attention to that because of who sponsors the information that we get. And... Like I said, at this point, there's real effort to cut back sources of that information mm. for future. So I really feel like these silent deaths will become more difficult to note in the future. And if we go back to the status quo ante as soon as we get the all clear on corona, we're likely uh, to go back to many of the really deadly kinds of behaviors that we've had for a long time. Right. It is true yeah. that we and, have reduced, you know, pollution and emissions right now. But God only knows how long that will last. Well, long there, there may be after the coronavirus crisis is passed, and presuming we get through it, okay. Uh, meaning, I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of damage, a lot of loss of life, a lot of uh, harm to individuals and businesses and, and, and agriculture probably. But if presumably we get through it, will there be this, this huge pent-up frustration where people are just going to go out and consume even more, uh, drive even more, fly even more, you know, exacerbate the problems related to air pollution uh, from just this, this pent-up frustration for not having been able to live a, quote, normal life? Um, I think all the evidence would point in that direction. When you look at... Um pollution levels or you look at emission levels after each one of the setbacks economically, they do go down like after 2008 and uh, after 2011. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, after 9-11. Um, but then you see rapid return to the prior mm -hmm. levels. So that is scary. And I think that's something we need to talk about. Even in China, apparently, despite how far uh, their emissions went down while everybody was 
uh, lockdown. Um, right now, China is uh, returning to its uh, normal levels of uh, coal consumption and nitrogen dioxide pollution. So while we got a month free, uh, they're going right back. So we really need to learn from this moment and change our priorities concerning the fragility of our environment, concerning right. uh, who's affected. I meant to say earlier also <clears throat> the very same people who are most affected by pollution in the air and who are most likely to be victims in uh, climate disasters are the very ones who are most at risk from corona because corona is affecting their lungs. And if you already have pre-existing lung disease or heart disease, that virus, when and if it gets to you, mm. is going to make your uh, right. disease that much worse. So they are very closely related, these two issues. So let me take a quick look at the uh, global picture. You said there's 100,000 deaths per year in the U.S. due to air pollution. But globally, the figure is 7 million. Uh, so right. there's uh, that's some... It looks like the problem is a lot worse in some other parts of the world than the U.S. How do we uh, understand what's going on there? Well, forms of air pollution are going to be um, determined by what are some of the economics and environmental protections. And when you get to countries that are already extremely impoverished through oftentimes no fault of their own, um, they have even worse uh, tailpipe emission problems. They have even worse problems just in the very home setting where they're burning um, uh, fossil fuels for cooking and other kinds of uh, fuels uh, that are contributing to, to air pollution locally. So the global toll is different depending on, on local economics, local social arrangements, also how many people are clustered in and around the source of, of uh, the sure. heat for the house or, right. or the cooking and things like that. Yeah. So, so, yeah, uh, so your um, concern is that uh, after this crisis passes, we're going to go back to business as usual, uh, maybe even worse, <laughs> and allow the continued, for example, uh, production of fossil fuels, continued expansion of greenhouse gas emissions, continued allowance for industry to pollute. Um, is there... Is there a sign of hope here that maybe this time we'll get it right and realize, hey, we need, we need to stop heading this direction? I think there are a lot of signs of hope, and I think what we, we need to do, or, or you through your radio show, me through PSR, is to talk about some of those positives. Um, part of what has allowed, I think, the impacts of pollution and emissions to go unnoticed is that for the most part, the people suffering, like I said, are the most marginalized, are um, ethnic and racial minorities, people with disabilities, and elders, etc. These are people that society traditionally has felt no particular obligation to protect. Right. But increasingly, what we're hearing, you know, is that the real heroes in our societies are, are the ones who are paying attention to and working with these very populations um, because it's these very populations that provide some of the most essential services. They don't work in pornography, but they work in the grocery store. Right, they right. work taking care right. of our yeah. elders and so on. <laughs> yeah. Well, this and is... Um, I think... Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I was just going to say, I think that's a really big positive that, that we need to build on as yeah. much as possible. The idea that we're in this together and right. we sink or swim together and we work together. Well, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Maureen. Folks, we've been talking with Dr. Maureen McHugh. Uh, she's at the University of Iowa College of Public Health and with the uh, Global Health Studies Program at the University of Iowa. Also a longtime uh, leader with Iowa, the Iowa Chapter of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Thanks again, Maureen, for joining us. Well, thank you, and good luck keeping our priorities straight out there over the airways. Thank All you. Right. And when we come back, folks, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to talk about what is happening right now in terms of the Trump administration's response to the coronavirus uh, and how, how he's addressing regulations that affect our environment. It ain't positive. We're going to talk about it, though, when we come back on the Fallon Forum. 
Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon, your host here. A quick shout out to some of our local business partners. Thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. You can still enjoy the wonderful flavors of Hawk Restaurant through their takeout service. Look for hawktable.com. That's Hawk Restaurant. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, so welcome back, folks. Um, in the last segment, we talked with Dr. Maureen McHugh about the um, unintended consequence of reduced deaths from air pollution because of the COVID-19 crisis and because of people not traveling as much. But at the same time, we've got a disturbing situation where, of course, the Trump administration is doing as much as it can to repeal and roll back environmental protections and with me to talk about that is dr charles goldman hello charles welcome to the program how's it going ed well as good as it can be uh it's i mean it's a very interesting time we live in well i i guess just one quick follow-up i know last week we talked about the issue of whether abortion was a um elective surgery and it appears that uh, governor reynolds um has has uh, changed her mind on that, and that they actually loosened that uh, last week. Although right. other states uh, ended up winning um, uh, lawsuits that were taken to a district court in, in Texas and I think yeah, Louisiana. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so yes, of course. What what is going on? Well, well you know, there's there's never a bad time. There's never a bad time if you are the uh, Trump administration, which is, of course, uh, nothing but a doormat for oil and gas and chemical and mining interests. Uh, there's never a bad time to, uh, you know, continue to, to be spoiled the environment even more. So uh, a couple things uh, that came up this week. One was that uh, the long-awaited EPA rule, um, rolling back the Obama-era uh, attempt to get about a 5% per year increase in uh, fleet mileage. And just so people um, know more about that, that was uh, that's called the CAFE standards. The, the CAFE standards, uh, yeah. right. So, uh, yeah, so... Uh, and, and, and that basically fuel, was... that was trying, fuel economy standards. Yeah, fuel economy. And that, that was the attempt to make sure that all vehicle, all new vehicles would be, would uh, get at least, what was it, 35 miles per gallon? No, well, the the aim was for somewhere in the late 2020s to, to have a fleet mileage of over 50. Right. So the idea okay. was that you it was the totality of what a auto company sold and that they could achieve it 
several different ways, okay. which would be either to make large numbers of, of extremely efficient cars or to get uh, smaller numbers of hyper-efficient cars like electric or um, hybrids um, against which they could array, of course, what are, uh, you know, in, in the insanity of the American consumer, the most popular cars, which are, you know, SUVs, which are trucks. relatively gas-guzzling. They aren't relatively trucks, yeah. gas-guzzling versus their predecessors, but they are obviously relatively gas-guzzling versus sedans and other cars. Right. So, um, you know, we've talked about this these standards previously. Um, the other part of this, of course, is that they want to revoke California's ability to set their own standards, being that California's air pollution issues were uh, much greater in terms of car traffic. Well, and being, um, and being, as, and and, being as California yeah. voted against Donald Trump. Right. And well, and, and well, the thing is that there was already, I believe it was somewhere in the range of 15 or 18 states that were using the same standards. Right. So at least, you know, at, at, in terms of states, it was less than half the states. But in terms of the actual units sold, the majority of uh, cars were covered, in fact, by the California standards. So how does President um, Trump justify uh, taking this dramatic, very anti-environmental action uh, at a time when I mean, how, how does he connect that to the coronavirus crisis? Well, no, he hasn't connected to the coronavirus crisis. I mean, this is just because everybody's attention was uh, was distracted by the, the, the virus and because the courts are basically not functioning in many places. This seemed a perfect time to do it. Now, they took public comment on this, and the public comment was, you know, just scathing. Because right. everybody knows that the science upon which they base this is faulty. We've talked about that before also. Um, I mean, the premise of, of what Trump is claiming is that by allowing that it's too expensive to make cars that get high efficiency in terms of mileage, therefore it's bad for the American consumer, and that more people would die because people would keep their gas-guzzling cars longer, and since they don't have all the safety features, more people would die in car accidents. Actually, it's been shown that more people will die from the consequences of the air pollution that will right. occur because of right. the increased CO2 levels. Um, as we, as we spoke about, as we spoke about in the first segment with uh, Maureen McHugh, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and in fact, uh, the standards were introduced, but they were already frozen because immediately um, it was brought to a district court. And I don't know exactly in, in which state, um, pointing out that the the EPA did not uh, fully disclose the NHTSA. Uh, model upon which they came up with this conclusion, and 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 that's the same thing we had talked about months ago, which it's it's totally false. I mean, it's it, they just cooked the books to get the result they wanted. Now, the irony, of course, is that this is so fantastic for the United States that even in this document, it points out that the American car companies will probably lose ten to twenty thousand jobs um, as a result of continuing to make cars that are inefficient in a market that wants more and more efficiency. A, a global market that wants more a efficiency. A global market and, that wants more and, and more cleaner, efficiency. And cleaner burning cars, yeah. Right. So, I mean, the only, the, only, the only feature of these standards that was good is that they are going to continue to change over the refrigerant they use for the air conditioning in, in new vehicles to ones that are less uh, greenhouse gas unfriendly. Right. So, so, so and that, that's a significant, that is actually a significant concession, okay. but it's a concession only because the car companies already spent a lot of money to do right. to make the, yeah. you know. It, 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 it's, it's a change one could make without having to do this rollback of CAFE standards. Correct. Right. Yeah, because they were so, already doing it. So, again, again, Trump's motivation, uh, his, uh, well, I mean, his, he's operating on the premise that people aren't paying attention, I can get away with this, so I'm going to do it. But he's doing other things that are specifically relevant to the coronavirus crisis uh that to me uh, just the 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 epitome of uh, cynicism i mean arguing that well these businesses are struggling so we're going to have to roll back regulations that that require them to protect the environment we're going to let them pollute more because if we don't it's going to hurt business that is really disturbing well specifically what they said was they were that they, they were not going to be subject to the usual regulatory reporting and inspections during the time frame of the pandemic, they didn't actually say, you can go ahead and pollute, but it's essentially the same. Well, yeah. In fact, they had, they had to come out 
and specifically say they did not say they were rolling back the regulations. They were simply tamping down enforcement. Right. So, they, 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 know how yeah. to land, they know how to use the right language to avoid the kind of criticism that they deserve. Right. Well, I mean, because, you know, this is, this is what Americans should understand, that this is this, the response to the COVID crisis is classic crony capitalism, and that we are just tools. We are just ciphers. It doesn't matter. If, if people haven't gotten that they don't matter from the response of the government, you know, this, this sort of government... When you say the response of the government, you mean the federal government specifically? Correct. Okay. You know, that it, it doesn't matter. This administration is filled with a bunch of end-timers who think that this is some sort of biblical prophecy that's being played out. It's, it's filled with a bunch of cynical, you know, corporatists. Uh, well, that, and that's pretty, fri- that, that's pretty frightening, Charles, because uh, if, if indeed that end-timers, folks who feel they somehow personally benefit in the afterlife through ending humanity's uh, time on Earth, that's pretty scary to think of people like that in charge of major life-and-death decisions because they're going to make the wrong decision intentionally, willfully. Do you really believe that there are that many folks in charge in Washington that feel that way? The estimate is that 13 of the 15 cabinet members um, are of, affiliated with, with either a very, very right-wing version of Catholicism or um, straight-out evangelical end-time philosophy. They have the complete works of, of the Left Behind series on their, on their bookshelves. You know, and, and so this is, you know, if you remember, we used to talk about the American Taliban. But there, there are people who are just as ideologically believers in rapture and, you know, biblical God's judgments and all of this among our government, way more than you would like to believe. You know, and this is not conspiratorial. This is not deep state stuff. I mean, this, is, this has been written about uh, dating back to 2008. Yeah, a book called The Family. Right, and so yeah. uh, would you would you would you say that President Trump is of the same perspective as is himself an end timer? No, I mean he wouldn't make it past the first ten pages of reading any of these. Books. <laughs> right. You know? Okay. But no. So why 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 would he appoint he's surrounded so, by people? Well, he's he has surrounded himself. Ill. He's he's made that choice. He's surrounded himself with these people. He surrounded himself with people of this ilk. These are the same people who are touching his hem. You know, and telling him he's God's chosen one at that evangelicals for Trump get together in Florida a couple like a month and a half ago. So he he's he aligns with them because they tell him what he wants to hear. Right. You know, and that's why he lives in this world that doesn't seem connected to our world. Right. So I mean, that's that's deeply disturbing. That uh, it is deeply disturbing. And, and how does okay tie this all back into the COVID nineteen COVID nineteen crisis? Uh, do, the, do you think some of these uh, 13 uh, end-timers that are in positions of significant power and influence see this as one of uh, many possible tools to move them toward the rapture? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that they do see this as a watershed event. And um, so I, I think that there's an element of, you know, of sort of laissez-faireism, which is to let's just see how this plays out. Wow. Okay. So let's let, let's wrap this up by tying that back in with our initial conversation about the the loosening of environmental regulations under the Trump administration during this time period. Uh, I mean, is is that part of the uh, end time agenda? Is to basically destroy God's creation? <laughs> no, that's just out and out greed. Oh, just out and out greed. Okay, good. Well, that makes you feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing that says you can't make your way to the rapture well funded. Right. Um, well, most you know, most so, tel- most televangelists <laughs> would agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is just about greed. This is just about corporate greed, you know. And and you know, you you mentioned the uh, the fact that Alberta gave uh, was it Edge Partners or TC or they TransCanada now um, seven billion dollars for an equity stake in a pipeline to bring a version of oil that is economically completely unfeasible right, right now. Right. You know, I mean, if, in fact, you could make the argument that Saudi and the Russians are doing exactly what they're doing to destroy 
these alternatives, these hugely destructive alternatives to extracting oil, you know, such as tar sands and shale oil. Yeah. And this has happened before. So, yeah, I mean, in, I can, in, in Canada, we're not looking at uh, end-timer motivation. It's just corporate greed. No, it's just corporate greed, which <laughs> well, comes together, you know. To well, that's, again, that's such a relief. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, well, let's, let's remember, in the middle of the pandemic crisis, uh, last week, at, last end of last week, who does Trump entertain in the Oval Office? He entertains the president's CEOs of major oil right, and gas sure. interests yep, yep. in this country. Yeah. Ouch. Hey, we're going to take a short yeah. break, Charles. Uh, when we come back, let's continue our conversation and talk about how some businesses who are really not essential are finding ways in which they can declare themselves to be essential, sometimes using the courts. We'll be back in a minute, folks. Dr. Charles Golan and myself here on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Fallon Forum. A quick shout out to our local nonprofit partners, uh, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Thanks also to Bold Iowa fighting climate change and opposing the expansion of the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's boldiowa.com. All right, welcome back to the program again. Dr. Charles Goldman with us still here as we talk about the uh, another angle on the COVID-19 crisis. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about the businesses that need to stay open because they are essential. And there's come under discussion, you know, what exactly does that mean? Well, apparently there's, um, there are porn shops here in Iowa, a chain porn company called Romantics, that have somehow found a way to stay open. Uh, <laughs> they're not the only business that uh, I think is questionable in terms of um, their capacity to convince the authorities that they need to remain open. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you've been tracking this, Charles. Uh, well, because people do need a way to let off steam. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a facetious and recommendation. It, it, it's not the type of business where you're going to see 10 people congregate. <laughs> well, it depends on the most quality. Most people who go to those businesses are pretty furtive. So <laughs> they just go when there's nobody else there. Or, or, yeah. or, or they hide behind their mask. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That'd be a place where definitely... People would wear them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have no idea how. I think the way that Romantics was able to classify, classify itself as essential is that it wasn't specifically prohibited in Governor Reynolds' uh, statement about what businesses should, should be closed. Correct. Interesting. But there are also businesses that are filing lawsuits to be able to remain open, and they're, they're, they're winning in some of these cases. I don't, know that, I don't know that I can say they're winning. I know that you know the, there are... It was a fairly comprehensive article late, I think, on Friday from the New York Times talking about some of these lawsuits. For instance, you know, there's a a public golf course in western Pennsylvania that claims that, you know, it should be able to open. And you've got a number of gun shops that claim that it's a violation of Second Amendment rights for them to be closed. You've got uh, evidently a... Uh, another company in Pennsylvania claims they should be allowed to be open because they're the oldest manufacturer of orchestra-quality bells and chimes. Um, <laughs> you know, and basically the claims have been mostly Fifth Amendment claims. That is that the state um, 
the state uh, doesn't, you know, it's 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 an illegal seizure essentially, right. um, without due process. And then you've got the Second Amendment, you know, where the gun stores are saying that. Uh, they should be able to stay open because we're infringing the Second Amendment. Well, it, it, it isn't part of the argument. given right to bear weapons. Well, it isn't part of the argument there is that these times are so difficult, so dangerous, that we absolutely need to be able to have our guns, repair our guns, and maybe buy more guns. That's correct. Well, I, you know, I think I told you this, or if I didn't, you know, I was about three weeks ago, I was up at uh, one of the box stores that does sell weaponry, um, and... You know, everywhere else in the store, people even at that point were doing social distancing. But the one place they weren't was the counter where they were selling the ammunitions and the handguns. You know, and that I found actually pretty frightening. You know, this is people have watched the movies. You know, like Contagion and Outbreak, or um, they've read you know whatever on the internet, and and they believe that that the social order will break down and it's going to be every person for themselves. And in the United States, every person for themselves means you got to be armed, you know? So, um, I, I can understand kind of where that, you know, that's coming from. And, that's, and a, that's a frightening place to be coming from. It is a frightening place to be coming from. Uh, you know, I, I would say that's the one thing I think that has been pretty amazing so far as we haven't really seen that yet. Really? You, you, were, you were expecting that level of social breakdown, that we might see that? I mean, I, I think, it, it again, it depends on how well-maintained public services are going to be, you know, in terms of how many firefighters are you going to have available, how many policemen are you going to have available. Um, how much toilet paper are you going to have available? Right. So I, I don't think it's totally far-fetched. Um, I, I do think that there is a huge issue with what to do with the, you know, two plus million people who are in prison in a situation where they can't social distance. Right. Um, uh, I mean, I really feel very strongly that nonviolent offenders should be out. Right. There's been a lot of conversation this, about that. Yeah. yeah. And that some of the older and, and some of the older low risk, perhaps, you know, violent offenders that have been in there for 30, 40 years should be out. Because they're high, they're usually older, and they're going to be at high risk. And um, I, I certainly don't want to add any <laughs> any more concern, right? You know, to to what's already a, a, a very dangerous situation. But uh, anyway, you know, to moving away from that, and, and you had Hobby Lobby that initially was still open here in many places, and they were kind of shamed at the closing finally. Okay, they did. Fi- they did finally close. I had not. They heard did close, that. and then for a little of the workers. Um, okay, right. You know, so... The argument is, I understand where, where people are saying we're losing, you know, our our livelihood, but there's many, many other people who are losing their livelihood, too. I mean, dentists are closed, and, uh, you know, all the people, the many, many people who are being furloughed by even some of the entities are still open. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the United States. I mean, this is... You know, I, I, I guess... If this is if if we're looking for something to come out of this, that is a good thing, which obviously would be the removal of Donald Trump from office of the president, along with everybody associated with him. Uh, but a realization of that the individualism of the United States is a detriment. First of all, it's phony anyway, because we you can see how many people are dependent on on common, the commons to be supported for this. Right. You know, so, so it's, it's a nonsensical, you know, kind of, uh, self-serving image. Um, but it's, it, this, the difference of the response in this country, besides the, the absolute failure of the federal government to pick out, pull out a book that gave them the game plan, but the reason they didn't was because Obama's name was on it, is the fact that it's it, in countries where there's more social order, and it's not just dictatorial countries like China, you know, but places like Singapore, places like Korea, you know, like Taiwan, um, they were able to respond in a completely yeah. different way. Yep. Yeah. And, and so 
while everyone's yelling and screaming here, well, we've destroyed our economy. No, the Trump administration destroyed our economy because their unwillingness to get testing out quickly to allow for isolation of where the problems were. It does, fa- not, it does fascinate me. To not have too. people on the beaches in Florida during spring break. To it not does, have Mardi Gras going on in, North, in New Orleans. Right. It does fascinate That is why it, we are here. It fascinates that is me why to, everybody's closed up. It fascinates me to see the, um, the, uh, uh, the amazing turnaround from folks like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, who, of course, were, it's a hoax, it's a fraud, it's a Democrat, Democrats' attempt to uh, derail the Trump administration, uh, to Trump himself, going from saying it just, again, basically saying the same sort of talking points to all of a sudden later last month, you know, understanding that, yeah, this is a pandemic. I mean, Trump, Trump went so far as to say, I, I called it a pandemic, a pandemic before it was a pandemic. And that's just right. But hey, I want to bring it back to our, our conversation about the courts being used by some businesses to fight to declare themselves essential so they can remain open. Well, and, actually, I'd like to ask you a question, because this is right up your alley, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, in terms of eminent domain issues. Well, let, let, me give you, let me give you one example first, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, so in Ohio, there was a beauty, a beauty supply store called Amazon Beauty. Nothing to do with Jeff Bezos, I believe. But Amazon Beauty um, went to court to fight the, the, the fight to be able to stay open, and they won. The Hamilton County Public Health Department had said that they were not an essential business, and they're ordered to be shut down. They're allowed now to remain open. Now, um, they sell soap and shampoo and things like that. And the argument is, well, customers need soaps and shampoos. And they also sell some N- N95 masks. And that may have been the hook that really got it approved. I don't know. But, but um, you know, it, it's. I wonder how much the courts are being burdened by this kind of uh, effort to, you know, get around the uh, restriction on what businesses should remain open. But there's an example of one that was successful. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's the problem, which is if you can show that you are selling an essential product, even if it has nothing to do with with your business. I guess guess they had the N95 masks because some of the uh, chemicals women in particular put on their hair are are so toxic that, that the person doing it for you doesn't want to be sucking it down. Right. You know, while, of course, it's on your head. Right. Um, well, I, but I, I was going to ask you, since, yes. you know, as I said, in your time in the legislature, you were involved with eminent domain issues. Uh, you know, to some degree, it is a Fifth Amendment issue. Uh, and, you know, the Kilo versus New Haven was, of course, you know, the, uh, the case that defined eminent domain in very right. broad common good issues. Right. Um, so, I mean, how do you see this Fifth Amendment argument that these golf courses and beauty shops and everything are? Well, again, I, I think I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to be radical here and say that I believe in science and whether the, whether the scientists are talking about climate change or about a virus, uh, I think they should be listened to. And the scientists are pretty unanimous. Pretty, I mean, there's, there's areas, there's realms of our existence where scientists disagree about vaccination, for example, or GMOs, or life on other planets. But, you know, in this case, there's pretty solid unanimity about, about what's happening, even though there's still a lot of, you know, gray area about this virus because it's so new. There's pretty solid agreement about what's happening and what needs to be done to, uh, to, uh, to address it. And so I think, you know, you've got a, you've got a greater public good you know, the, the argument with eminent domain, the argument has always been is if there is a, a clear public benefit, then it's okay to take somebody's land. And oftentimes that language is used referring to uh, road expansion. And I would, I would argue that sometimes road expansions are not in the public interest. But in this case, there's a strong public interest in making sure that this virus is contained. And a big part of the containment strategy is to limit mobility. And part of the way you limit mobility is to limit which businesses and services are able to continue to remain open to provide uh, something that probably can wait. And again, it's not it's not a permanent closure. Like an like when eminent domain took the Kilo family's home, that ended their life in that home in that neighborhood for good. By the way, that 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 development was never built. Uh, that same thing happened in Burlington, Iowa. By the way, a low-income housing development called the Manor, you know, taken through eminent domain, bulldozed. And then the developer who was going to build a nice mall there backed out. But anyway, those are permanent decisions. This is a temporary one for a clear public interest where scientists have an agreement on. Yeah. yeah. So there. 
<laughs> and so, um, what about what about the? Well, I, I, I assume I, un, I would guess your position on the gun shops. Yeah, the, I, I would not call them an essential service. And again, there'll be people who are furious at me for even suggesting that. Mm-hmm. And I know that if your trigger, if, if some part of your gun is not not working well, then maybe you maybe you need to get it repaired. But I think that's a real stretch. Yeah, see, I have I have problems like with the golf course issue because I drive by Wavewood, you know, coming going from the hospital, and there's people playing golf, and they're not social distancing. You know, they sit. They first of all, they drive the carts around, so they're sitting next to each other in the cart side by side. Uh, and then they're congregating when they're golfing, you know, and yes, it's, it, it is, I guess, relatively safer if you're playing outside, but you know, because there's wind outside, particles just from talking and breathing can be carried. Are you sure you're not just jealous because your golf game is terrible? No, it has nothing to do with my, my antipathy <laughs> towards golf. <laughs> no, uh, but, but, but we, but I, we, we, I, we, we've uncovered that part. Saying, I don't get why they're open. Right. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get why they're open because people are home, they're bored, and they want to be outside. Well, Charles, you know, we, we, got, and, we got... Um, you know, for instance, um, people go, are going to state parks, not just here, but other places. You know, and, and, and you ultimately... They're going to congregate if you don't keep the numbers down. Sure, and as, I think you part know, as to how many people can go into them. Yeah, and part of that is is is, is just being intelligent yourself and going to these places. I mean, I, I understand why it's important for your physical and, and mental health to get some exercise. I get that a lot, but mm-hmm. um, you don't have to do it in great numbers. <laughs> you don't have to do it uh, in a golf cart, <laughs> for example, but right. Yeah, I mean, it would even be safer if they took the golf carts out and said, "You're going to walk it." Right, as, as a, uh, you know, as, it'd be safer because it would give them some respiratory help that might be useful in terms of handling the virus. As Mark Twain, and the one, second would be as people could stay apart right. doing it. As Mark Twain once said, "Never let a golf good, let, never let a game of golf get in the way of a good walk." Yeah, I'm not. Did, I, did he actually say that? I thought that somebody else said that. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I might be. I might be citing the wrong person, but I love the quote. At any rate. Well, I mean, if 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 you dislike golf. You should definitely watch uh, Robin Williams on YouTube. Uh, he, he did a, a bit in one of his last stand-up, you know, specials on on golf, and he said there's a reason why they call it a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's a good suggestion. Uh, on that note, Kathy and I will double bill that some night with Caddyshack. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Charles, thanks for joining us today. We got to run to a break. Right. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Right. You take care, Ed. You yeah. too, Kathy. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum, folks. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, thanks to the local businesses who make this program possible. Thanks so much to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Grocery store is still open, folks. And if you'd like to take advantage of their breakfast, lunch, and supper offerings, they've got a takeout service as well. Check them out, folks. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street. Yes, also closed officially, but they've still got a takeout service. And, you know, these local businesses sure depend on our help to keep going in this really difficult time. 
Again, thanks for tuning into the program. And uh, this segment, we're gonna we're gonna talk about food. Kathy Burns is with me. We're gonna talk about Birds and Bees Urban Farm and what we're doing and what you might be doing to help raise some of the food that you need to uh, live a healthier life and a more independent life. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks. We've had two workshop sessions so far with our um, workshop groups, February and March, and our April segment will be done via a Zoom call. And some people are probably thinking, why would you have a workshop on food production in February in Iowa? Well, there's a lot to do in February in advance of a, growing a garden. Specifically, the main task is getting your seeds planted. And we have we had a, we had a pretty good time t- teaching people how to do that. It's not as easy as you think. A lot of people knew quite a bit about um, how to start seeds in your home. And some people knew nothing. And uh, even those who did know quite a bit learned a lot. And we learned some from them. Too. I really wish we could have had Michael Bloomberg participate in our workshop because Bloomberg <laughs> said back during the campaign that farming, what's the big deal? You put a seed in the ground, you put dirt on top of it, you water it, corn comes up. It's not that simple, Mr. Bloomberg. And uh, I'm glad that the folks who have been you know, you know, taking our course, working with us, understand that, yeah, there's a little bit more to it than that. And I, you know, as long as I've been doing this, I still make mistakes. One mistake I made this year. And, it was tough. Yeah, we used too heavy of a soil mixture to start the artichokes, and they were like, ah. They were struggling. But what were they like? Ah. They were struggling so badly. And I think we finally got them to the point where they're going to be okay. Not the greatest crop ever. I think last year's crop was the greatest crop of artichokes ever. And then, and then they were finally looking pretty good again. Oh my gosh! We were we were giving them some light and some dark and some light and some dark during the hardening off process. We'll talk about that more pretty soon. But poor Ed, he was so diligently working on getting them lit correctly in the basement. And my poor Ed, Kathy means Ed the idiot, drops a shop lamp, a shop lamp on the artichokes. Note to self, if you're going to adjust the height of the shop lamps, of your grow lamps, whatever you're using, make sure you take the plants out from under them first. That actually is the second time I've done that. So hopefully uh, two, two mistakes like that, and maybe I've learned my lesson. But wow. anyway, we're, we're not quite beyond that. We've still got plants in the basement, specifically tomatoes, uh, eggplant, and, uh, and uh, peppers. And when it hits 32 degrees, which, you know, I was hoping we might be beyond that, but of course it's still April. We can still get a snowstorm. So we have to be prepared to cover the plants that are already growing outside, which we're, which we're prepared for that. We've got plenty of old blankets and sheets. And we're also prepared... Don't throw out your old sheets and yeah, blankets. Right. Don't throw them out if Very, you're in garden. If you don't want them, we'll take them too, providing they're not infested with coronavirus. And then we also, of course, when it gets cold, for, for the plants that have already gone outside and are hardening up but haven't been put in the ground yet, we got to bring those inside on a night when it hits 28 degrees. So there's a bunch of work to be done. But it's all fun. It's all good work. And it leads to incredible meals. Um, we had, uh, again, a fresh salad today. Uh, we used from our freezer some of last year's crop. We had, well, you made uh, the last of the okra and the last of That's the right. kale. Whipped that into a, an omelet. Well, actually, the okra and kale were left over some previous meals. I can't speak to how Kathy prepared the kale. It was quite good. Uh, I don't know what you did to it, but it was stir-fried or sautéed. It was very good. With our own frozen scapes. Why? Which is the, garlic which scapes. Which is the, the garlic scapes, the stem of a garlic as it tries to yeah. flower. But the, uh, the okra... Now, I know some of you watching and listening to this program are not okra fans, and, and that's too bad because you should be, because Kathy herself was an okra denier, and now she's a believer. She's also a climate change believer, by the way, but she believes in okra. And one thing we found to do with okra that works really well is to grill it in a grill pan. That's a kind of a metal pan that has holes in it, but you get the fire going pretty good, and uh, okra likes it hot, so you make sure it's really good and hot, even some flame, not a problem. You put that, and we, we use wood. And you have to coat it with oil. Yeah. Oil, oh, yeah. oil, salt, pepper. And then we, we grill that, and uh, it's pretty darn good. Now, when it's been frozen, again, this is not fresh okra. That's right. We don't live in, uh, we don't live in the Bahamas or somewhere, or wherever they can grow okra this time of year. But it's, um, it's, a, it's been frozen, and so it's an interesting dance that occurs when you put it on the flame between uh, <laughs> the, the water coming off the frost that's on the okra from having lived in the freezer for six months and the oil that's coating the, the okra. And it's this crazy, fiery dance that um, 
Well, we're going to have to film it sometime for you. It's really fun. But the ochre is pretty darn good. And we had some leftover. Mix that with the kale. Put it in an omelet. It wasn't too bad. Mm. Well, we have an exciting time coming up this week. And we'll be planting potatoes. And we're doing that with our work group via uh, a Zoom session. Uh, but the official planting date for potatoes, for some people, is Good Friday. Well, for any Iowan worth their salt, it's uh, it's Good Friday. I mean, that's the, the traditional day you plant potatoes in Iowa, and it's not. There's a good reason for that. It's it's that's when the lunar cycle hits the optimal time for root crops. And so, I've planted potatoes on Good Friday for every year except 2014 when I was marching across the country. Every year since I think 1988, and I've had a good crop all but one year. That was 1988 when I, uh, you know. I've planted a lot of potatoes in Ireland as well, and it's a very different world there. And so uh, <laughs> it took me a little, bit of, a little bit of time to get used to the fact that, hey, this soil here is really good. It's rich. It's not full of a lot of rocks. And so there's a little bit of a different approach to how you plant potatoes here. But planting them on Good Friday, always a good idea. I respect Ed's tradition of planting potatoes on Friday. I'm skeptical about the lunar phase being, you know, when it's, what is it, when it's Farmer's waning. Farmer's almanac. When it's waning, it's good for root crops because the energy is being pulled downward into the earth. When it's waxing, it's good for yeah. Upward, upward growing crops. And I, I've, I've just not find, well, found let, scientific let, evidence. Well, let me it. put it this way. Tides. You believe in the tides, right? I don't know if they pull crops this <laughs> way in that. No, the tides don't. But the moon, the moon, the moon pulls the ocean. I mean, oceans are a lot bigger than our potato crop. And so if the oceans, if the moon can have that impact on the oceans, it could certainly have some impact on plants. I think it makes... If I, anybody plants not on Good Friday and has great success, let us know. I, I will respect your tradition, <laughs> but... It, the, well, and, I think and, the, and the important thing is not Good Friday. It's that part of the lunar cycle. It's, okay, right, right, yeah. right. Which which fo Good Friday follows that lunar cycle. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's one of the, difference well, it's of one, opinions. Yeah, we still get along, even in isolation. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. We, we're not... We, for those of you watching this program, as opposed to those of you listening on the radio... Yeah, you will notice that we are not wearing masks, we are not isolated. It's because we are sheltering at home together, and we're still getting along so far. As long as it keeps making wonderful omelets with our produce. <laughs> it's been yes. good. What okay. else are we doing um, well, in our workshops this week? We're going to th um, thin some tomato plants and uh, from each other and put them out. No, we're right, going to well, put we, them into we, pots. Yeah, we've got uh, the tomato seedlings have finally sprouted their, their they've got, what, three or four real leaves now? And it's time to put them into pots, uh, larger pots, three-inch pots. And uh, actually, our pots, I can't say they're all three inches. Some of them are two. Some of them are six. They really vary because we just kind of collect what we can pot-wise. And, uh, and they, you know, once you, once you transplant them, and, we, and you always want to plant them nice and deep. Uh, you know, get that stem well into the ground. Barely, the, the leaves should be barely above the uh, the, the the plant uh, the, the height of the soil in your in your new pot, and they'll 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 take off pretty fast, and uh, that that's happening. We're also going to be talking a little bit about compost, my favorite subject, because when I grow up, I want to be compost. <laughs> but this is the time of year when you really can start cranking on compost. I just checked our four bins. Uh, one of them is kind of a storage bin right now, but the other three. Are well, kind of like kind of like the uh, three bears, hot, warm, and cool. Right. One or, of them is one of them is. Is anybody just right? Uh, I think the one that's really hot is just right. My, myself, it's a. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what I did to get that one really going hot, but it's really burning up, which is great. The other two will catch up, but um, I make them all at once. I, I I think of compost like a cake. You know, you don't like put an egg in a bowl. And then come back next day and add a little flour. And maybe a couple of days later you put the milk in. No, you don't do that. You'd have Unless to be pretty distracted. Or really, or really stupid. Or really both. But you, um, when you make compost, same thing. You try to make it all together if possible. You put all your ingredients in together. You put it in the oven and you let it bake. By oven I mean in the sun. Mm -hmm. So. Um, speaking of what we want to be when we grow up, I want to be honey when I grow up. And so this week on our workshop, in our workshops also, we're going to show, I'm going to suit up in my new birthday suit, excuse me, my bee suit. I'm getting it for my birthday. And we're going to look, we're going to show our participants the, the bees in the hive. And if you can become compost, that means you can also nourish flowers, which means you can create 
nectar and pollen and it means you can be honey someday. If so you I want, want to be honey. If you want to be honey when you grow up, then I've changed my mind. I want to be Winnie the Pooh. That's <laughs> Okay, there we go. <laughs> We're winding down. We're winding we down just as well. All right, hey, well, thanks for tuning into the program, folks. Again, Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to our production team of Kathy Burns, Sherry Herdina, and to our guests, Dr. Charles Goldman and Dr. Maureen McHugh. We'll be back the same time next week on various community stations as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website and on the Fallon Forum Facebook page. Thanks again, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host. <laughs>